I pray, dear Lord, that you would speak to everyone that is here. Uh, may we just feel your spirit. And as your word is read, I pray, dear Lord, that it would be spoken into our heart. We love you, Lord. This is your time. This is your place. These are your people. Would you have your way in this service? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Give these guys a big hand. Appreciate their ministry. Uh, they're short-handed today, but you couldn't tell that. We appreciate them and the hard work that they do. Uh, I don't know if you picked these cards up when you came in. I know they're out on the information table. They're, they're little invite cards for Roundup Day. Uh, the, the only two people in the church who really like and care about Roundup Day are the two people on these cards. <laughs> Brother Johnny and myself, all right? And uh, right, now, right now, these cards are not worth anything. But one day... Trading cards, man. So uh, anyway, Roundup Day's coming up, as Brother Johnny told you, or you heard on the little video. It's back in the saddle is our theme for this year. We want to try to get all of our people, Kavanaugh people, back in church, back in the saddle, back in Bible study, back regular with the Lord and Kavanaugh Church. So if you see uh, an area where somebody used to sit and they're not sitting there anymore because they haven't been here, give them a phone call. Go visit them. Encourage them to uh, come back and, and get involved. Well, today I'll be reading Proverbs chapter 17, verse 6 to begin with, and then we're going to look at some other passages as well. Today is a national holiday. Are you aware of that? Today is Grandparents' Day. So give the grandparents a big hand, would you? Grandparents' Day was signed into law by President Jimmy Carter in September of 1978, and this is the first Sunday ever in my whole ministry that I've ever preached to grandparents on Grandparent Day. But here I go. <laughs> All right. Who's excited about that? All right. Fantastic. Here's what Proverbs 17.6 says. Children's children are the crown of old men. Or as it says in the newer translation, grandchildren are a crown to the aged. What about those grandkids, huh? Hey, what about those grandbabies? Question remains, what is a grandparent? Well, let me define what it means to be a grandparent. Uh, these are quotes taken from papers written by seven and eight-year-olds. They're good, too. Let me tell you. Uh, for example, one little kid wrote, Grandparents are a lady and a man who have no little children of their own. They like other people's. Somebody wrote, A grandfather is a man-grandmother. One little kid wrote, Grandparents don't have to do anything except be there when we come see them. They are so old, they shouldn't play hard or run. It, amen. There's a, there's a tear in my eye. Hang on a second here. Can't see it. Uh, it is good if they drive us to the store with lots of quarters for us. I'm not going to say this next one is my favorite, but I'm partial to it. One little kid wrote, usually grandmothers are fat. 
but not too fat so they can't tie your shoes. One little kid wrote, they wear glasses and funny underwear. They can take their teeth and gums out. One smart little kid wrote, When they read to us, they don't skip. Yeah, yeah, dagger, dagger in your heart if you're skipping. They don't mind if we ask for the same story over again. One little girl wrote, everybody should try to have a grandmother, especially if you don't have internet, (laughs) because they are the only grown-ups who like to spend time with us. And then the final one, they know we should have snack time before bedtime. They say prayers with us every time, and... They kiss us even when we've acted bad. Well, what about them grandparents, huh? Yeah, yeah. I like what a little six-year-old said when he was asked where his grandmother lived. He said, oh, she lives at the airport. And when we want her to visit, we just go get her. Then when we're done having our visit, we just take her back to the airport. It's awesome. Someone said, life offers no greater privilege, no greater responsibility, and no greater joy than the training of the next generation. Some of the best memories I have as a kid growing up were times that I spent at my grandparents' home, whether it be Grandma Harmon's house or the Whitmires, it was always special to go to their home and to feel what they could give unconditional love. The bond between a child and a grandparent is the purest, least psychologically complicated form of human love. So says Dr. Arthur Kornheiber, the author of several books on grandparenting. He claims that grandparents can offer an emotional safety net when parents fail and falter. They pass on traditions in the forms of stories and games and songs, skills and crafts. And they have another magical ingredient that sometimes parents lack. Time. What many grandchildren appreciate most is the relaxed rhythm of life at grandma and grandpa's home. Kornheiber has found that children who are close to at least one grandparent are more emotionally secure than other children. And they have more positive feelings about older people and even the aging process. Grandparents are, after all, grandparents. Amen? And the dictionary defines the word grand meaning having more importance than others, foremost, having higher rank, marked by regal form and dignity, Intended to impress very good and wonderful. 
As I researched the subject of grandparenting, I discovered some very interesting facts. The, the first being that grandparents aren't necessarily old. Hey. The average age in America at which a woman becomes a grandmother is only 46. Wow. There are 70 million grandparents in America today. And the number is accelerating rapidly because all of these baby boomers are entering the grandparenting years. The number of grandparents in America, they say, will swell 30% just over the next decade. And we're finding that grandparenting is more complicated than it used to be. Responsibilities now often include step-grandparenting. More and more grandparents find themselves providing regular child care. And approximately 3.2 million American children live full-time with their grandparents. In almost 900,000 American homes, grandparents are raising grandchildren in place of the parents. Well, what does that tell me? It tells me there is second chances. All right? and that's what I want to talk about for a moment, the second chance. F.W. Borum, the Australian Christian of a century ago, wrote, Grandfatherism gives every man a second chance. If his parents failed him, his grandparents may yet prove his salvation. Perhaps history's most dramatic illustration of that truth is the story of King Manasseh found in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. And I'd like to turn there and read several verses to you today about King Manasseh, his son, and his grandson. Let me begin by reading the first verse in 2 Chronicles 33. It says, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Now, Manasseh was very young when he took the throne, 12 years old. He was the son of a very good king, King Hezekiah. But you know what? Even good men can have prodigal sons. Hmm? And that's what happened. Hezekiah's son Manasseh was a 12-year-old holy terror. When Hezekiah died, Manasseh assumed the throne. He was a tyrant of a teenager. He was horribly wicked even as an adolescent. Let me just read some of the things that transpired when he sat on the throne. Verse 2, But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He raised up altars for the bells and made wooden images. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the sons of Hinnom. Which means, okay, he sacrificed his own children to false gods. He burned them up. Now, how wicked does a man have to be 
to sacrifice his own kids. This man was bad. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery. He consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your, for your fathers." Only if you are faithful and careful to do that I have commanded you to do, according to the whole law and all the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel." If I was writing a commentary on this passage, my comment would be, wow, wow, this was a bad man. This was an evil man. Let me ask you, how would you like for this man to be your grandfather? You certainly wouldn't want him as your dad. <laughs> he was taking most of his kids and killing them, sacrificing them to, to false gods. How would you like this man to be your granddad? Well, don't answer that too soon because there's more to the story than, than we've discovered yet. Let me read on in verse 10. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Now when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and prayed to God. And God received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Manasseh repents. Let me tell you something, folks. Don't ever give up on anyone. Don't ever stop praying for people to repent. Don't ever think that anyone is so evil and so bad they are past repentance. This was the most evil man who had ever lived. Yet in his old age he repented. He came back to God. After a lifetime of violence and demonism, bloodshed, immorality, and the worst moral pollution than our world had ever seen. After a lifetime of all of that, Manasseh came to the Lord. He repented. And he was transformed by God's amazing grace. That is amazing. That's awesome. God can change the vilest sinner. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. 
And that's what happened to this old man, this old king, Manasseh. He had lived his whole life as a wicked tyrant of a king, but then in his old age he was transformed and he became a brand new creation. Second Chronicles chapter 33 goes on to tell us about Manasseh's subsequent reforms and how he built up the city, tore down the idols, and even prayed for his people. And then he died at age 67 having served Judah as their king for 55 years. So what happened? What happened after he left the scene? Well, it tells us down in verse 20. So Manasseh rested with his fathers, and they buried him in his own house. Then his son Amon reigned in his place. Amon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. For Amon sacrificed all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord, as his father Manasseh had humbled himself. But Amon trespassed more and more. That is, he became more and more evil and wicked. Verse 24, then his servants conspired against him and killed him in his own house. But the people of the land executed all those who had conspired against King Amon. Then the people of the land made his son Josiah king in his place. So his son, Manasseh's son, was a wicked young man himself. That's all he had seen from his dad. He had watched his dad take his older brothers and murder them. Have them burned in the fire to false gods. What a wicked man Amon became, just like his father had been. But then in chapter 34, we're going to learn about Amon's son. A little boy by the name of Josiah. He was eight years old when his father, the king, of 24 years was murdered. Now, little Josiah's grandfather had died two years before, but he had enjoyed his granddaddy for the first six years of his young life. You see, the last six years of Manasseh and the first six years of Josiah overlap. And those last six years of King Manasseh were his repentant years, his godly years, his years of reform and contrition before God. It's obvious to me that it was too late for King Manasseh to be any kind of godly influence over his own son, Amon. But it wasn't too late for his grandson, Josiah. And I don't know, maybe I'm taking privileges and maybe I'm reading between the lines of Scripture. But it's very easy for me to see this old king spending long hours with his small grandson in the palace. Saying stuff like this to him. Listen to me, Josiah. Someday you're going to be the king of this land. You must never do the wicked and evil things that I did. You need to love God. You need to serve Jehovah. The Bible tells us that Josiah was only six years old when his grandfather died. And then two years later, he himself became Israel's king at age eight. 
But I want you to notice the godly influence that was on this young man. It didn't come from his daddy. <laughs> it had to have come from his grandfather. L listen, just, just listen. A few more verses. Chapter 34, verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And he walked in the way of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. They broke down the altars of the bells in his presence, and the incense altars which were above them he cut down, and the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images he broke in pieces and made dust of them and scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Nephtali and all around with axes. When he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder, and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, then, and only then, did he return to Jerusalem. Now, let me tell you something. That godly influence on this young man's life did not come from his wicked daddy, Amon. It had to have come from his repentant grandfather, Manasseh. And this chapter goes on to describe that as they were repairing the temple, they rediscovered the book of the law. That is, they had found the Bible that had been neglected for generations Jeremiah the prophet served as the city's pastor. The Passover was reinstituted and revival burned like a bonfire in Jerusalem. All because, all because of a grandfather's influence. A grandfather who had been the most violent, the most wicked man in his nation's history. But a grandfather who had found the Lord with just enough time to spare to implant his newly found faith in the tender heart of his little grandson. That's amazing. It kind of goes along the lines of what Paul said to Timothy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother and then in your mother. And what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 4. He said, teach my words to your children and to their children after them. So grandparents, what a huge responsibility. Teach the word of God to your kids, but don't neglect to teach the word of God to your grandchildren. So how can we best do that? How in the world can grandparents use their grand positions... To the best advantage. How can we maximize the ministry that God has given to us over our families and our grandchildren? Well, let me go back to Proverbs 17.6. It says that grandchildren are a crown to the aged. 
So it's those grandbabies that are the crown. They are your crown. So today I want to give you three tools for polishing that crown. Okay? Three tools you can use to help your grandchildren become the people God has called them to be. The first is this. Be a real presence in their life. You be visible. You be there. I think it's vital for grandparents to be as accessible as possible. Do all you can to spend time with your grandchildren. Open up your home to them. Make open your schedule. Talk to them. Tell them stories. Read scripture to them. You know, in our mobile society in which we live, many people don't, don't live near their grandchildren. And that's sad. <laughs> but it's so true. However, a week here or a week there, a vacation, a stream of letters, a regular phone calls can really help fill the gap. I heard of one grandparent years ago who recorded stories and then sent those cassettes to their grandchildren so that they could hear them and listen to their voice of their grandparents every night before they went to bed. With the technology we have today, with simple computers, you can visually see each other and talk to one another. Listen to me, grandparents. It is so important that you become a visible force in the life of your grandchildren. And parents, let me tell you something. If you are neglecting that, if, if you're making it hard for your kids to see their grandparents, shame on you. You need to make them accessible. Those kids need the influence of godly grandparents in their life. And that, that kind of goes along with secondly. Second, grandparents can help provide materially for their grandchildren. Am I talking about money? You better believe I'm talking about money. Just a little bit here and there. Buy clothes for them, books, toys, tools for a hobby. Maybe a, a little seed money for college. People over 50 are, on average, a more affluent segment of our population. People over 50 hold 50% of the country's disposable income and more than 75% of its financial assets. But advertisers have a hard time reaching these people because these senior adults have learned through the years to be cautious with their money. In other words, they're tightwads. They've had a hard time making their money. And they don't want to spend their money or give it away. You know, businesses are pretty smart. They're learning to appeal to the role of grandparents. <laughs> and so should the case be. I think for a good reason. Many young families are financially stressed. You know what? A, a few extra dollars along the way by loving grandparents can make a huge difference. And let me challenge some of you prime timers in our service. Maybe you don't have grandkids. You know what? Our church has a lot of little bitty kids who don't have grandparents here. We have a lot of kids who have parents that don't really care about them. That's who we're ministering to. We've, we've got a lot of kids like, why don't you come alongside them and adopt some of them and be that presence in their life? Help provide for them. Not only money and stuff, but... You need to provide something greater than that. I was in a Christian bookstore this past week, and I was down on my knees trying to dig through and, and, uh, and find a book I was looking for. 
It's crazy when you can't see very good anymore. You have to get out. And then when you get down there, you can't get back up. Anyway, that's another problem. But I heard over across the store this grandmother come in, and, and she was talking to the sales clerk and said, I'm, I'm here to buy a study Bible for my granddaughter. What's the occasion? Oh, there is no occasion. I just want to buy my granddaughter a good study Bible. And I was thinking down there on my knees, I was thinking, thank you, Lord, for a grandmother that cares, who wants to provide for her granddaughter something of lasting value. Grandparents, you've got something that your grandkids need, a heritage of faith. I was hesitant to say this first service, and I'm still hesitant to say it now, but I have to regret something every afternoon when I go home on Sundays, okay? So I think here it is. I'll just plug it in here. It seems to me, and I'm, this is just me, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting at this age where I'm old enough to be a granddad. I'm just not one yet. But it seems to me that, that sometimes the older we get, the more selfish we become. Uh, probably the hardest pastor's job in this church is not Brother Johnny with the kids or Brother Jason with the teens or Dave with the, with the college age. Probably the hardest, the hardest time that a pastor has is uh, Brother Ray dealing with prime timers. <clears throat> Let's all do that together. <clears throat> I love you guys. I love you. But sometimes the older we get, the more privileged we think we become. We lived all these years, we've done all this work, we've done all these things. Now we're going to sit back and let the rest of you serve us. And we're going to gripe and complain if things aren't the way we want them and like them. And we're going to get real cranky and really not care how you feel about it. And if we want to drive 10 miles an hour on the interstate... Where the orange barrels are. We paid for this road. Can I hear an amen? I'm, I'm just saying. Here's, here's what I see. And again, this, this may not be straight from the Bible, but it's been processed through this preacher's head for years. If, if a person is sweet as they are, you know, from their young age up through their middle age, if they're a sweet person, usually when they get old, they get sweeter. Don't they? Don't they? But if somebody's kind of ornery and cranky when they're young, my lands, when they become old, just get out of the way. I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Honestly, prime timers are worse. They are worse than teenagers, the way they act. Okay. 
I love you. <laughs> you know what, prime timers? I'm saying it to myself because look at the color of my hair. Shame on us. Shame on us. Can I tell you something? It's not about you. It's not about you. You know who it's about? It's about those grandbabies and those little kids who have the rest of their lives to live. God has kept you around this long for you to start reinvesting some of the good stuff he's given you. And whether it's bucks or money or time or that Christian heritage, whatever it is, God is wanting you to put it back in the lives of those kids. And you can't do it if you're cranky all the time. Finally, grandparents... I'm glad I'm off that. Finally, grandparents can give their grandchildren a legacy of prayer. Not only their presence, not only their provision, but also their prayer. I sometimes wonder what a difference it would make if a person would spend ten minutes a day just praying for somebody else. Claiming scriptures before the throne of grace on behalf of a friend or a loved one. What a difference. What kind of difference would it make if you earnestly prayed just ten minutes a day for your grandchildren? Samuel said to the Israelites, God forbid that I should sin against heaven by failing to pray for you. And often grandparents have more time for prayer and Bible reading than anybody else. So, what tools are necessary for effective grandparenting? Presence, provision, prayer, and I don't know, maybe just a dash of patience. What do you think? Hmm? Powerful tools for crown polishing. For children's children are a crown to the aged. And those who realize that are the grandest people of all. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take the, the written and the spoken word today and challenge our hearts. Lord Jesus, if there is a person in this room who has never accepted Jesus as their personal Savior, I pray that today they would come and receive the gift of salvation. Lord, if there is a believer here today that's away from you, they're not living the life that they should be living, I pray that they would come and repent and get things right with you. Dear Lord, for families that are here, and specifically for grandparents, may we use this time this morning at these altars, praying for our families and our grandkids. Lord, I, I know that it would do our families good. It would do a world of good for our church and for our, the kingdom of God if, if today families led by grandfathers would come to the altar and pray for one another. Lord, I'm sure there are some grandkids here today extremely thankful for the grandparents that you have blessed them with. May they come and pray for the grandparents. Lord, may, may the altars just be filled today with people praying for each other, lifting up needs, and asking for your blessing. For we ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand. It's about an